Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy. And just a quick reminder, if you're looking to start your own private practice in physical therapy, cash-based concierge practice, whether you're looking to do it on a full-time basis or start part-time and move to full-time, then make sure you get on the wait list over at karenlitzy.com slash waitlist for the Strictly Business Private Practice Mastermind. Uh, more information will be coming out this week. I just have to talk with my team to make sure we are all ready. So go over again to karenlitzy.com waitlist and get ready to start your own practice soon. Yay, very exciting. All right, a big thank you today to NetHealth for sponsoring our podcast. So NetHealth Net wants to help you maintain strong relationships with your patients, especially during these times. They have created the Redoc Patient Portal, which provides a secure line of communication between you and your patients. You can conduct video conferencing for telehealth, have secure messaging, share documents and photos, and your patients have 24-7 access to their health information, including discharge instructions, home exercise program, and educational materials. To learn more, contact NetHealth at Redoc, that's R-E-D-O-C, at NetHealth.com. So a huge thanks to NetHealth for sponsoring today's episode. And on to today's episode. This is a long time coming. So I am so excited to have on the program Dr. Susie Gronsky. She is a licensed doctor of physical therapy and a board-certified pelvic rehabilitation practitioner. Simply put, she's a doctor for everything down there. Her passion is to make you feel comfortable about taboo subjects like sex and private parts. Social stigmas aren't her thing. She provides real advice without the medical fluff, sort of like a friend who knows the lowdown down below. She is the author and creator of a unique one-on-one intensive program helping men with pelvic pain become experts in treating themselves. Her enthusiasm for male pelvic health stretches internationally, teaching healthcare providers how to feel more confident serving people with dangly bits. She's determined to make sure you know you can get help for painful ejaculation, problems with the joystick, discomfort, or pain during sex, controlling your pee without needing to be embarrassed. So whatever you want to call it, penis, schlong, or ding-dong, if you've got a problem down there, she's the person to get to know. She is currently in private practice in Asheville, North Carolina, specializing in men's pelvic health. And she is also the author of the book Pelvic Pain, The Ultimate Cock Block, a no-bullshit guide for men navigating through pelvic pain. You can pre-order this book. Go to drsuzyg.com, search for the book. It's pretty easy. Um, If you're a physical therapist working with men with pelvic pain, or if you're a man with pelvic pain, go and pre-order this book. Everything, all of the links for all of this is available at our website in the show notes under this episode at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. So speaking of this episode, today we talk about what is chronic pelvic pain syndrome and chronic prostatitis. 
sociocultural barriers unique to men receiving pelvic pain care, male expectations and reservations during a pelvic health treatment session, and strategies to increase patient self-efficacy. So a big thanks to Dr. Susie Gronsky and, of course, to NetHealth for sponsoring today's episode. And everyone, enjoy. Hi, Susie. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. And now, as the listeners may know, I've had a lot of episodes about pelvic health, pelvic pain, but most of them were centered around female pelvic health and pelvic pain. And today, kind of excited to have you on, Susie, because today we're going to be talking about chronic pelvic pain in men. And I think this is a topic that is not spoken about a lot. I don't know if it's still considered taboo in many places. We'll talk about that today as we go through this podcast. But before we get into it, can you tell the listeners what is chronic pelvic pain syndrome or chronic prostatitis, which I don't know why I have a hard time saying that word. And I'm looking at it and still have a hard time. But anyway... That's neither here nor there. That's my problem, not yours. So go ahead and uh, just give us, uh, what is it? Well, that's okay about the, the not able to say the word prostatitis because it is a bit of a misnomer when we're talking about male chronic pelvic pain syndrome. So it's okay. I wish that word wasn't used as frequently anyway to describe what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> Good. All right. Makes me feel yeah. better. <laughs> yes. No worries. So the official definition that one might read in the literature is that chronic pelvic pain syndrome or chronic prostatitis is having recurring symptoms lasting more than three to six months without a known cause or pathology. And that typically results in sexual health issues, urinary complaints, and obviously a lot of worry to say the least. So that's the official definition of chronic pelvic pain syndrome. Now the NIH or the National Institute of Health classifies, I put in bunny quotes here, prostatitis into four categories. And briefly, those categories are um, acute bacterial prostatitis, chronic bacterial prostatitis, chronic non-bacterial prostatitis, both inflammatory and non-inflammatory, which is the realm that physical therapists will work in. And then you have a category, interestingly enough, asymptomatic inflammatory prostatitis. And I think that's really important to stress that you can have, quote unquote, inflammation in the prostate, but you still have individuals who are asymptomatic. So when it comes to the word prostatitis in itself, to describe male pelvic pain, I think it is a bit of a misnomer because a lot of uh, cases are not uh, bacterial related or infection related. And actually, in fact, 90 to 95% um, are not infection related or bacterial related. So I, th I think we need to shift from using prostatitis as the main umbrella term uh, because you know, it puts the blame on the prostate when we know that's not the sole cause or what we're dealing with um, in the long run. Got it. So that, that can be a little confusing for people because I'm assuming if you're a man and you hear that diagnosis, mm -hmm. prostatitis, that that's got to be kind of unnerving to hear. Right. For one, you don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, what well, you know, when you, when, when, and I don't want to stereotype, but I think when guys really hear prostate anything, what's the first thing that might come to mind? Cancer. Cancer, right. 
And so now you're freaked out, like, what's wrong with my prostate? Am mm-hmm. I going to have cancer? We know it's, you know, highly prevalent. And, and so, yeah, I, I think it is a, a bit of a misnomer um, in terms of when you have pain down there, um, especially without a known cause, um, that leaves the fear of, well, they must be mis- missing something. There must be something really seriously wrong that the doctors are not just finding. So... And what are some common symptoms? I know you you mentioned a couple in the beginning there, but if you can kind of repeat those common symptoms that uh, people may experience with chronic pelvic pain syndrome. Mm -hmm. And is pain one of them? Yeah, right. Yes, most often it is a sensation that is not typically pleasurable, it's painful. It may or may not be associated with urinary issues, Uh, but in general, you'll have any sort of of pain or discomfort in the abdominal or genital region. Uh, It could even be around the tailbone or even pain with sitting, uh, sitting around the sit bones in the groin. Um, It may or may not be associated with sexual function. So for some men, they might experience pain after ejaculation or with an erection. Um, They might feel pain with bowel movements. Um, It might be testicular pain. Uh, It might be pain between the scrotum and the anus, typically known as the taint area. Um, So there's a lot of overlapping symptoms that one might have. Um, Again, everyone's so unique, but those are some of the common themes that one might hear in the pelvic health world. And so if you have, if you're experiencing these symptoms, let's say for more than a month i mean do people will people experiencing experience these symptoms for let's say a couple of weeks before they go see a doctor or go to to look up their symptoms and see what's going on i think that varies on the person and their personality in terms of like their health and health seeking behavior in terms of men's health seeking behavior we know that when you compare it to for example, women, uh, they don't tend to kind of seek out the help of doctors as 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 women might do, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's across the board in terms of uh, international standards as well, in terms of the seeking behavior, health seeking behavior. Um, I, I don't I don't think I can have like a I don't have a stat or fact around mm-hmm. that, but I do think that men tend to kind of like watch and see what happens or you know I think many of us do like if you feel something you're like well that'll just pass right um so I I don't know if I can answer that fully I just know that sometimes people wait and sometimes people go right away because they're afraid or whatever the case may be Mm -hmm. um but I do think that the sooner the sooner that you can get reassurance for what you're what you're experiencing in terms, and I mean reassurance from not just take these antibiotics and come back and see me in six weeks, it should go away reassurance because that's typically what will happen when a guy will seek help. Mm-hmm. And I think the main, one of the main barriers too is that, well, where does a guy go get help from <laughs> when something like this happens? Because for right. females, we have a gynecologist or a that's right. uh, or a woman's doctor, right? Unquotes. But guys, like I know my husband just, he's like, I would have no idea where to even go. Who do I seek for help for this kind of thing? And so I think that's, I think when we're talking about barriers for seeking help, that's one of them. Mm -hmm. Guys just don't know where do I go? And then you'll go to your primary care physician who may or may not be familiar with, you know, chronic pelvic pain or being able to to differentiate, you know, whether it's an infection and what tests to do. Um, 
a lot of times men are given antibiotics without even having um, uh, 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 having diagnostic tests to see if there's an infection, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll do this for several rounds too. And so I think Oof. the longer that happens, <laughs> the, the more that we're making the situation worse in terms of, you know, we know gut microbiome will play into this picture as well. It may or may not have been an infection that triggered this. We know the immune system plays a, a role in chronic pelvic pain. So you know, I think I think having a well-versed physi- uh, healthcare professional who can really help this person say, "Hey, this is what could be happening." We know a multifactorial and multimodal treatment approach is very helpful for for what you're going through, and that you know these symptoms shouldn't last forever. Here, go see a pelvic therapist. But we know that's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, right. I see guys several years later or years oh later yeah. before they even have. An appropriate diagnosis, which I guess brings me to say that chronic pelvic pain syndrome is a diagnosis of exclusion. So, so before they even come see or get a referral to see and see if they're lucky to get a pelvic health referral, they'll go through a lot of invasive tests, cystoscopies, colonoscopies. Um, I mean, you name it. So, I just think that by the time they do get the help that the right care that they need for the issues that they're experiencing, they've gone down a really dark rabbit hole by that Mm -hmm. point. Yeah. And that's sort of looking at, I I mean, and it's not that their healthcare providers are, are intentionally doing them wrong. Right. They just don't know. Right. So we're talking about, I guess, this more traditional view uh, of a medical process for men who are coming in having these complaints is saying, well, let's, check this, 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 and this, like you said, a diagnosis of exclusion. And then years down the road, they come to see you. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine, forget about their physical well-being. I can't imagine their mental and emotional well-being is, right. is doing all right either. And now the pelvic physical therapist has a whole lot of comorbidities to deal with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with any type of persistent pain, not just chronic pelvic pain syndrome in men, but I think with any type of persistent pain, we really have to be looking at the psychological and sociological aspects of that person's experience because at that at this point, now we're dealing with an emotionally driven process versus a purely nociceptive in nature. You know, mm-hmm. it may have it may have started that, but now we're dealing with this like this um, cat yarn. I don't have cats, but I know they like to play with yarn and you have mm-hmm. this big ball of yarn. Yeah, <laughs> that you're really just taking one um, strand out at a time to really unravel, and and everyone is so unique and very different. Um, so yeah, I think that's where where we're dropping the ball with getting quality pain care for these individuals. Number one, just getting rid of some of these barriers of a lack of education on the practitioner's you know perspective of uh-huh. what do I do in this situation what you know do we need to have all these invasive tests done in my opinion I don't think we need to do that but they're really not getting the referral to see a qualified you know pelvic therapist who can really rule out you know biological triggers and even work with the psychological and sociological aspects of that person's experience just to again calm things down and to reassure that person that things are going to be okay um and to that extent, I think this would be worth noting as well is some men do not ex- 
do not have positive medical experiences in that they're not being validated, they're often being dismissed, and no one's really actually looking at their genitals. To this day, I still have men say it's all about just finger finger in the butt, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) checking out the prostate, and no one's really addressing like, take a look at my testicles, look at my penis, like treat it like any other part of my body. And then you're, then that kind of plays into the blame and shame of one's body. And, and just again, not knowing, no one's really looking at it. I want somebody to look at it to tell me I'm okay. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that's really being missed as well in those early encounters with medical providers. I think that's so important. And, you know, you had touched on it, uh, a few minutes ago talking about not just the what we see from a physical standpoint but a socio and cultural standpoint as well so what are some common barriers that are unique to men from a socio-cultural standpoint when receiving care for chronic pelvic pain well the first one that i touched base upon as you said was having an outlet uh, to to get medical care, so there isn't a you know male gynecologist per se for men, <laughs> and uh-huh. so I think just having a lack of that awareness of where does a guy go get help for these types of things. Where who um, would be the best physician, let's say for for help? A urologist, okay, um, a urologist, but that isn't usually the first line of. Mm -hmm. the encounter. um, It's usually an internist or primary care physician. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes it could be even other healthcare professionals like a massage therapist or a chiropractor, an acupuncturist who's hearing um, these, uh, the symptoms or, or men feel comfortable enough to, with the, with a trusted provider that they Mm -hmm. trust to talk about even what they're going through. Mm Because I think that brings me into the second, I think, barrier is Mm, I think if I can say this, the the masculine side of culture, right? Like what should men, <laughs> like men should man up and not have these issues. And what if something is going on down there? Like, you know, guys aren't really talking about their private parts in the locker room per se, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I speak again, I'm speaking for the heterosexual male, but like, you know, I think it's just uncomfortable in terms of how the society that we live in to even have that conversation be brought up. Mm-hmm. So that, that being one of the barriers is just, we're not really talking about sexual health issues and what could go wrong unless it's like, you know, erectile dysfunction. Right. Well, that's <laughs> all over TV. So you right. can't miss that one. Right. Exactly. Here's a pill for that. We know exactly. how to fix that. You know, you got Snoop Dogg talking <laughs> about like male enhancement products right. on Pandora. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I think, I, I think in terms of, you know, what are the conversations that we're having around men's health and, uh, we, and it really comes down to what's selling and what's not selling, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I think that that's one of the, one of the biggest barriers as well. It's just, we're not, we're not talking about it. There uh-huh. are no outlets. There are no, um, you know, taking a stand for men's health essentially. And, and the second thing too, or the third thing is when a guy has pain down there and they look it up on the internet, cause that'll probably be the first thing we do. Absolutely. Dr. Google will be first. <laughs> right. They're there. And to get help, everything is women's health. Mm-hmm. women's pelvic health, uh, women's clinic, 
baby and mom, you know, like things like that, that are coming up where that in itself is like, wow, this is a quote unquote woman's issue. Why am I having it? Mm-hmm. You know, what does that mean for me? Because again, guys and, and everyone, I think unless something is going on down there, like we really don't talk about our pelvises or right. like how things work and we're not taught. <laughs> we're not really taught about like, you know, what to expect and how do mm-hmm. things work and that you have actually pelvic muscles down there so until, you know, something goes south literally and you, and then you have to like look things up and there's enough of crap out there to yeah. scare anybody. And so Absolutely. I think, I think, you know, again, I think Google is helpful, but it also can be harmful because we know, we know that nocebic anything can really shape someone's prognosis when they're seeking treatment. And you have scary forums and you have people talking about how I'm living with this for several years. And then you have this person who's just starting to experience these symptoms reading through these forums and looking at, you know, it could be cancer or it could be this or that, you know, it's like a life sentence and that's really scary. And that I think is what part of the picture that takes things from acute to chronic in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, when people are involved in, uh, and this isn't across the board, but oftentimes uh, in those kinds of forums, it's people are writing about their experiences that have gone wrong. Right. Or that you said, I've been experiencing this for years, or I tried X, Y, and Z, and Mm -hmm. it was horrible. Mm -hmm. And so when you read those kind of forums, because I've gone on those, I think we, you know, a lot of healthcare practitioners should go on some of these forums to see what's being uh, spoken about, but I've gone on them for like chronic neck pain and, and you're like, oh my goodness, right? this is, this is frightening. It's really right. scary. And so I can't even imagine uh, someone going on there who is experiencing, like you said, some of the symptoms that you had mentioned before, maybe they've ex- been experiencing these symptoms for a couple of years or a couple mm-hmm. of weeks and they mm-hmm. look on these forums, they're like, holy crap. Yeah. Like this yeah. is what I, this is what my life is going to be now. Right. I mean, that is really scary. Exactly. Exactly. And that we know doesn't matter what body part we're dealing with right. tends to make the situation worse. Yes. Um, just yes. because of, of that. And, and so I think I'm a huge proponent of, I don't think I am a huge proponent <laughs> of having good information knowledge and like I said, reassurance for the, this group of people to say like, hey, this isn't forever. This is what you can do about it. We can really work with this. It's more common than you think. Um, and and it happens in this area, just like any other part of our body, you know? Um, mm-hmm. There's muscles down there, there's nerves down there, there's everyday function that happens, like pooping, peeing, having sex, you know, all these things are quite normal. And I, I think just even experiencing some discomfort down there, just like you would have some back pain once in a blue moon is Uh not, you know, something that needs to be perpetuated, I think, for many, many years. But as I I think we're talking about is that it's unfortunate because they will go down a rabbit hole of, well, we've, we've checked everything, we've done every scan under the sun, and there's nothing that's showing up on scans. I just don't know what else I can do to help you. And then at that point, the conversation is, well, now it's all in your head. 
<laughs> and then it's and, like, and I'm a goner. Like I'm doomed. Yes, I'm doomed. Like I and then and then again, you know, when we talk about the interpersonal context of pain for that individual, it's am I gonna be able to have a family? You know, if they don't have any, you know, or be in a relationship or to have kids, or how mm-hmm. about my job? I have to sit for my work. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't do that. Or what about my sport that I want to play? Does that mean I don't, I can't do that anymore? I mean, there's so many like what ifs and uncertainty. And that's one of the themes um, that men will talk about of it's this uncertainty, this roller coaster ride of the symptoms that they experience. This, it's fine one, you know, one week and then it's terrible another week and they just don't know what to expect because there's no rhyme or reason mm-hmm. for, for their triggers. And um, that's really, I think that's a really hard mental, yeah. I, how do I say that? <laughs> like a lack of words. It's really hard mentally. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You know, you're absolutely right. And now let's say one of these guys, they're, they, they've been having these symptoms, they've gone to their doctor and miraculously their doctor said, you need to go see a pelvic health therapist. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. Right? <laughs> Yay. The doctors, yes. the doctors know what's up. So what are some reservations men might have before seeing that pelvic health therapist. And then we'll talk a little bit from the therapist background uh, yeah. point of view after that. But let's talk about the men's point of view first. And on that note, we're gonna take a quick break here from our sponsor and we'll be right back with Susie's answers. This episode is brought to you by NetHealth, helping you maintain strong relationships with your patients. The Redoc Patient Portal provides a secure line of communication between you and your patients. Conduct virtual visits and have follow-up conversations with your patients via secure messaging when it's convenient for you. Patients have 24-7 secure, on-demand access to their therapy health information without phone calls and voice messages. Video conferencing for telehealth, secure messaging, share documents and photos, and view health information and appointments. To learn more, contact them at redoc at nethealth.com. Yeah, so so the, the the point of views that I'm going to be talking about are actually from the people that I've worked with. So I'm just reiterating or paraphrasing from their experience. But the number one thing is, what is it? Because <laughs> the doctors aren't really telling them what to expect. So again, they'll go on Google and they'll find like, you know, this is a woman's health issue. And why am I going here? And, you know, again, that psychological aspects of I guess, gender in, in, in general, of what that means for me as a person um, and that experience in itself might be one reservation. Like, you know, this is a women's health issue. Like, I don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they might put that off, um, which is common as well. Uh, I think the second thing is the actual procedure of having internal work or an internal examination. And that this is one message I'd like to kind of get across to people is that you don't have to do internal work to get better. And I think there's this huge misunderstanding of like pelvic therapy being like, well, it's all about moving the genitals out of the way and just going for internal work and chasing trigger points. That's not really what it should be. And in fact, I think unintentionally, of course, I think that's more harm than good. Uh Um, because we aren't really asking, like, if you ask the guy in front of you, like, is this something that you really like, first of all, what would be the purpose of doing internal work or even having 
you know, that assessment, like, why are you doing what you're doing? And number two, is that in, in alignment with what that person wants? Is that a goal of theirs? Is that functional for them? You know, why, why are we doing these things? Because we don't want, as a, for me, I'm speaking for myself, I don't want to be another person to create medical trauma. I, I don't want to be that person that says, well, this is what you need. <laughs> when in fact, like they're sitting they're on the table, you know, cringing and guarding and tensing. And it's, and it's, I think it's funny for me, like, it's not funny for the person on the table, but I think when therapists will say, oh, you, you're really tight, you know, you're really tight. It's like, yeah, this is tightest I've ever seen. And, and I, and I look at, you know, I'll tell my patients cause they'll be told that. And I say, mm-hmm. well, how did you feel on the table? Were you comfortable with what was going on? And they're like, no, you know, no. And I said, well, that would, no wonder your muscles are tensing mm-hmm. and guarding. That would happen with anyone, you know, I'm like, but that doesn't mean that you're broken or that there's something wrong with you. And I think that's the, the message that's going across, not for every therapist, and I'm not speaking for every therapist, but it's just a theme that I see with um, men who come into my office who've had therapy in the past. And, and that's something that I think might be a huge reservation for someone seeking care as well is having to have a, an internal assessment done. Although it is common, it doesn't have to happen. And if you're doing an internal, so now let's kind of go into the, the pelvic health therapist point of view. So this patient comes in, they've had chronic pelvic uh, pain for, we'll say several months. And what, why might you do internal work in, or, or an internal assessment if the patient was okay with it, obviously. So right. what would you, what would a, a therapist be looking for? So if the person is agreeing to have this done, number one, I think it's they want to have a thorough evaluation by a professional who works in this field. So that's reassurance. So you would do that because they're asking you to do that to rule out whatever. It's putting their mind at ease, right? Again, if that's what they so so want. Um, I think that's the first thing that we're doing. Number two you're, if there's like pain with bowel movement, or let's say that person's sexual preferences or pleasure has to do with um, anything anal, uh, that would also be applicable in order to just map out areas of tender tenderness and then see if we can change that. So we're not there looking for golden nuggets uh-huh. <laughs> or anything trigger points. Uh, we're, we're there just to see, okay, can we change what you're feeling? And can we give that person an experience of, hey, it doesn't always have to hurt this way and there are things that we can do to change things and essentially giving them back a sense of control of their own body. But I like to preface that it is a very awesome teaching opportunity for the person because you can say, well, how does it feel when somebody else touches you versus when you try to do this yourself? And right then and there during the assessment, I will actually have, we'll compare. I'll say, okay, I want you to touch those areas that hurt and tell me what you feel. And then I'll say, if it's okay, I'm going to do the same thing. And that might be my own individual hand. It might be hand over hand with that person's hand. It just depends on, you know, again, their comfort level. But essentially, I'm just there to see if we can change their experience in their body and to prove that you don't have to hurt all the time and that things are changeable. So I love those moments. So that's the, that's the reason that I would do any internal work or any external work for that matter. 
is to see if we can change that person's experience in their body to create more safety and less danger. And so that makes that's, sense. that's what I would do. Um, so yeah, that's, that's essentially why I do that. And it's, and it's not an hour long treatment session of, you know, internal work. Um, but, but do men do appreciate that you take the time to actually talk to them to address their body, just like, or this part of their body, just like any other part of their body. And that's, that's a theme across every single man that I have worked with that came into my office. You know, they'll say, I really appreciate how you just worked with me and worked with my intimate parts of my body, but just considered it just like any other part of my body, like my nose. Mm-hmm. And, and they just felt like the sense of like, they can feel vulnerable, they can be safe. Um, they feel heard and validated because somebody's actually taking the time to work with them to ease their essential suffering around what are they, what it is they're experiencing. And I think that's really important. And so if you are working with a patient with this diagnosis and they are not comfortable with internal work. Cause like you said, you don't have to do it. So what might be some other evaluative procedures you might do as the therapist to help this patient, like you said, feel more comfortable in their body and get a better sense of understanding of what's happening. Mm-hmm. So the first, the first thing is really just getting to know their story. So going, going back to giving them time to talk about what's going on for them Uh, I think for men, having an outlet to be heard is really important because men don't typically kind of talk about these things. So once they know that you are accepting and you're there to offer that space for them to express themselves and the difficulty that they're going through with this, I think that's therapy right there. Just to, just to give them that opportunity, so, so having a supportive outlet. And the other thing is just um, if, it, if it's movement-related, if it's an activity that they're having difficulty with, for example, sitting is a very common one. Um, I have all sorts of like gadgets and toys in my office, and I just bring some playfulness into the conversation. Um, I have them sit on various different surfaces to see what would be something they like what actually explore, you know, again, I'm trying to see if we can violate the expectancy of, well, it always hurts and it's constant. I can't change anything. And so my, my role is really to see like, can we change things? And if we can, let's do more of that. (laughs) So I try to bring a little fun into it. I try to incorporate like the passions, their hobbies um, that they've once done but have stopped since because because of all this happening. Um, sometimes, sometimes we don't even do any hands-on work or uh-huh. any even an, a, a formal assessment on the first day because we're we're really going through the story and we're re-establishing a sense of um, that person, well, a, a sense of what that person, who that person is. Because a lot of times you lose who you are, mm-hmm. you know, when you have pain, persistent pain, you've gone through something that's so life changing. So I think, in, you know, for me and for that person is establishing, well, what would life look like? <laughs> what would life look like if this were no longer a problem? Mm-hmm. Who, who do you want to get back to being? Um, and so I do vision boards. Um, uh, I'll do some sort of visioning exercise where we can get to like, the why, you know, why is this important for you? What do you want to get back to doing? Um, 
how do you want to feel in your body? And then that becomes essentially the treatment plan or the plan of care. Anything that we can do to collaborate together in more of a coaching relationship to help you move forward to get the, to attain, um, I guess, living in a way that you see yourself living, but also a values-based type of approach um, in terms of, of treatment. So I know that was like a mouthful, but essentially- No, that was great. I, you know, if it's the bio, you know, you're, I'm doing a biopsychosocial approach, but I'm really, really having it being patient centered and patient led and I'm just there guiding them. So for some people, it is really more of this, I need to figure out who I am. I need to, you know, start doing something. Well, we, we figure that out before we go on, on the table because mm-hmm. um, there might be a lot of fear with that, or they might have had certain traumas associated, associated with you know, medical experiences that may have had that may be negative. And so there might be a lot of reservation. And, and I think we, we as therapists need to recognize that that person might say yes, like, yes, that's okay for you to do all these things like with touch, but we should also be responsible of of actually paying attention of what, to what their body is doing, what their Mm -hmm. autonomic nervous system is doing while you're touching them, because they might say yes. And I'm guilty of this too. I'll go for a massage and that person's touch is firmer than I'd like. And they'll ask me, you know, how's my pressure? And I'll be like, oh, it's good. It's good. Right? It's good. No problems. No (laughs) problem. Yes. And that's my point. Exactly. That's what the person that you're working with is going through the same thing. And I think it takes a sort of a bit of a skill to recognize or to be more mindful of, you know what, this isn't necessary. I I notice that you're sweating a little bit more, that you're tensing up more. I see your facial expressions. What are your eyebrows doing? <laughs> and then I'll say, you know, we don't have to do this. I don't think this is right. You know, your body is saying one thing and I know you, you know, I know intellectual people level, be want to be polite. Yes. They want to, they want to make you happy. They want to yeah. please you. They want to make you happy. And I think part of the treatment too is giving them permission. That's self-efficacy. That's giving them a sense of agency to make that decision for themselves. Do I want, you know, I, I want to be able to say no. Mm-hmm. You know, and I tell them right off the bat, you know, let me know. I have a lot of tools in my toolbox. And if we try something or you're willing to try something and it doesn't work for you, just let me know. Cause there's many other things that we can do and try out. It doesn't have to be this one size fits all, which we know never works. So yeah. anyway, I guess in the long run, it just depends on the person who's sitting in front of me and, and they're essentially what they're telling me they need. And they'll actually, I have a very long uh, intake form but it's more reflective very open-ended and so I'll I'll know from that of like what they're telling me it's just so it's just awesome because you can see it like they actually write it out like this is what I need this is what I think is happening great well I'm going to facilitate this process and we have a conversation around that so. Yeah, and I, I think that's great. And I think it gives the listeners, certainly other therapists listening, of uh, a better idea as to what a session uh, treating someone, treating a man with chronic pelvic pain might look like. And now you had, you had mentioned self-efficacy, and we all know that as physical therapists, our, one of our biggest jobs is to give people a sense of self-efficacy and control over their body. So do you have any helpful strategies that you give to your patients for them to increase their self-efficacy and to be able to manage their care uh, when you're not there? Mm, I love that question. So as you know, it probably depends on the person, but I, everything that we do together in a session, I make sure that they walk away with, well, here's what you can do for yourself. 
and it, and I, it's, it's really just a suggestion for them. I really want them to take it, to experience it. So for example, I might say, you know, let's do some pleasure hunting. Um, really if they've had experiences with, um, you know, having an erection or participating, participating in sexual activity that was painful. We know that it's like, all it takes is one time for things not to work and for things to be bad, to have a bad experience, to be worried about the next time and the next time and the next time. And unfortunately that's really strong for men and their I guess, uh, the, their penis function, you know, and that's mm-hmm. not uncommon to experience when you have pain down there. You know, the last thing you want to do is be like, yeah, I'm ready for sex. You know, right. it's, it's a threat. And so Absolutely. Not- <laughs> um, and I think it's just educating, educating the person about like, this is completely normal what you're going through and it's common and it's not forever. And let's see what we can do to start getting you to feel comfortable in your body again. And so yeah, I think just having that candid conversation, not being afraid to ask the questions, and then asking them, well, what is it that you'd like to do or start with? Because there's so many things we can do. What is it that you think is the most important thing to start with onto your recovery? Um, and that, like I said, that could be sensory integration, so touching one's body, um, touching oneself, um, and not being afraid, and then having a recovery plan or a flare-up plan, because we know that's common as well. So having some sort of structure around if I experience this discomfort, well, what is, what can I do next to help myself in this situation? Uh, whether that's breath work, um, a stretch, um, you know, talking to a friend, uh, meditating, whatever it is for that person, then we kind of put that into a plan to say, okay, next time, you know, if you try this, cause you can't really, it's really hard to just I think apply graded exposure techniques or graded activity to sexual function, like, you know, erections and having, you know, orgasming or ejaculating. You can't like stop halfway. <laughs> you right. know, like right, right, there's right. no like coming back from like once you hit that climax, you know? And I think just letting them know that this is the process that happens in your body when you're going through, uh, when you're having an erection and when you're ejaculating and here's what you can do to help yourself post. So, you know, I usually give things like recovery plan, but it's really collaborative with that person because, you know, everyone has their own way of living and their own lifestyle and whether or not depends on their relationship dynamics. And sometimes we have to have a conversation around that. And, and then, you know, if, if any of those things are kind of coming into play, then we have to reach out to other you know, a network of, of team members to help with all those dynamics that might be contributing to that person's experience. So, you know, like sex therapists or um, couples therapy or, you know, that sort of thing. So it just, you know, again, it depends on the person. So um, I actually want to do, I do want to make a comment about, you mentioned, um, you know, so what is it that you give, to, you know, to your clients or to your patients? Um, I think the other thing that I want to mention is that for therapists not to be afraid to address the genitals. This is one thing that I think is still common where female therapists will want to, um, I think, move male genitalia out of the way and just go to um, internal work. I think it's really important not to be afraid of you know, addressing or touching a testicle or touching their penis. Um, because for them, it's really important that you're doing that. And then you're showing them what exactly, you know, showing them techniques or sensory integration techniques that you can do that they can do for themselves. 
So you don't have to do things. You're just showing them. And then you're saying like, this is all completely normal or not, you know, or this is what we can work on and having them experience, have an experience in their own body. That's, that's completely not sexually related at all. <laughs> but I think as female therapists, we're afraid of like, well, what if they have an erection right in front of me, you know, or like, and that does happen, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that does happen. I think that's one of the reservations is like, and for, and speaking of reservations for the guy on the table, they're also afraid maybe more so than you are that they're going to have an erection. Oh my gosh. You know? And then I always, I'm very candid about that too. I'm like, you know, we're touching parts of your body that have nerves and sense things and physiological reaction may occur. No big deal. If you need some time to yourself, I'll walk out of the room, you know, but you, you kind of address it before they even have a question about it Mm -hmm. (laughs) to put things at ease. So Mm -hmm. sorry, I went like on a tangent with that. No, no, no. I think that's important. That's really important to, to mention for sure. No, this is great. I mean, what great information. And so if you were to kind of take this conversation from, let's say from the point of view of a man suffering from chronic pelvic pain syndrome, what would, what, what would be your big takeaway for them? Mm, big takeaway. How can I put this in one sentence? <laughs> oh, it, it can be several sentences. <laughs> Um, so this is for pelvic pain syndrome for the, the man who's suffering with pelvic pain, correct? Yes. I understand your question. Um, yes. Okay. The big takeaway would be that this isn't, this doesn't have to be forever. Okay. Like that this isn't permanent that, that if there is something going on down there, don't be afraid to talk about it. I know it may, you may not be surrounded by people who are very candid about talking about poop, pee, and sex. Like, you know, us as physical pelvic therapists anyway, we're so comfortable talking about that, that we forget that people, other people have reservations about talking about private parts. Um, But yeah, not to be afraid to just, you know, reach out to a professional who understands um, what you're going through and who can relate to you because that, that doesn't have to be um, a lifelong, it doesn't have to be a lifelong sentence and they're a death sentence per se. It, you can get help for it and there's help for this. And, um, yeah, I just, I guess that would be the main thing. Just making, you know, having support and having that outlet for them mm-hmm. to just be, be themselves and know that they're not alone. So, and as what about to the physical therapist, uh, who let's say you if you are a pelvic health therapist, you're probably a little bit more informed about this. But what if you're not a pelvic health therapist and someone is coming to you with these symptoms? What advice would you give to them? I mean, outside of, I have someone that I could refer you to who is more well-versed in the treatment of this, but what advice would you give to the physical therapist who might be seeing a patient with chronic pelvic, uh, pelvic pain syndrome? I think the I think just having more knowledge about what what it is and what it isn't just as a practitioner so that you can have an you know a conversation with this person who's experiencing pain because in fact you know if you if if the person you're working with has groin pain or a tailbone pain or sits bone pain I think just being aware of like there are other things that might be involved and asking questions really not being afraid to ask questions maybe you put in your questionnaire um, I, I think there's a, we used to be, well, Oswestry used to have a sex question in it. Yeah, they took it out. 
Yeah, unfortunately. So get the original one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Keep the original one. But, but yeah, just not being afraid to ask those questions and, and really just asking the person, like, you know, I know asking permission without giving advice to, you know, just saying like, you know, I know a little bit about this. Uh, It's not within my scope, but um, how do you feel about having a consultation with a colleague of mine who works with men or who works in this, in this field Uh that can really help you out. We can really work together. Um, I I really, it's just opening up the conversation to say, Hey, you know, you're having these symptoms. There's something that we can do about it. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be like, well, I don't know what to do for you. You know, exactly. Yeah. I think that's what it is. It's like, you know, give them a resource or give them a website. There's so much free stuff out there. Like on my website, I have all sorts of like blog posts and many others who work in this field have a lot of uh, great literature on, on here's some things that you can do to just open up the conversation and what you can do to help yourself. So I think that's really the key. I think for pro- professionals who are not pelvic health therapists, mm-hmm. but working with people who have pelvises. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That make a difference, you know, and, and, you know, they might be coming to you for low back pain, but we know that low back pain and pelvic floor dysfunction and pelvic issues are correlated, mm-hmm. highly mm-hmm. correlated. And in mm-hmm. fact, you know, a lot of testicular pain can or, can originate because of low back issues and vice versa because of the connection there. And so just, I think just having that conversation with your patient of saying like, this is why it's all connected. And this is what I think is, what else is happening? How do you feel about getting, you know, getting a consult from so-and-so related to this because Uh they might be, that person might be having many other struggles down there, but not talking about it. Right. The first and foremost thing to do from a therapeutic perspective is let's have a conversation (laughs) because we don't know what else might be going on for that person. And we can certainly be that gatekeeper, that, that liaison that says, Hey, I know I can get get you to see so-and-so to help with these issues. You don't have to just live with them. Yeah. Great. Great advice. Thank you so much. This was such a good conversation. I think from uh, the standpoint of the therapist and the standpoint of, of, uh, of a man uh, maybe experiencing some of these chronic pelvic pain symptoms. So thank you so much. And now last question is one that I ask everyone, and that's knowing where you are now in your life and your career, what advice would you give to yourself as a new graduate out of PT school? There's a couple of things that I'd want to tell my young grad self. And the first one being don't overtreat and don't pathologize what's normal. And on that note, I would definitely say, you know, you're not using your hands to quote unquote fix people. Instead, you're using your hands to support people and hold space for them. So don't treat pain with more pain. And lastly, I would say it's not your responsibility to quote fix someone. You know, you're there to coach them. You're there to support them and guide them through their journey. But ultimately, um, the less attached that you can be to their outcome, the better it is for you and for that person. So I guess that would be my pieces of advice that I would give my younger self or my new grad self. Excellent (laughs) advice. And now let's talk about what you have coming up. So you've got podcasts, books, courses. So tell the audience where they can learn about what you're doing um, so that they can in turn help their patients or help themselves. 
Well, thank you for this opportunity to have a shameless plug here. Of course. I, <laughs> I am, well, I'm, cur well I, I'm currently working on the second edition or revised edition of my book, Pelvic Pain, the Ultimate Cockblock, which is written for, you know, the, the average Joe who's suffering from pelvic pain. Um, I have a podcast called In Your Pants that's also on YouTube. And I have several programs, support programs for men who are suffering, who suffer from pelvic pain. Um, some are online DIY programs. Others are um, support programs where myself and a psychologist and sex therapist have collaborated on. Um, and I also have a course that I teach. It's called Treating Male Pelvic Pain, uh, a Biopsychosocial Approach. So I'm very busy. I have lots of things going on. It's awesome, but where can we find all of it? Oh, on my website, yes. uh, com. Sorry, I was like, yes, yeah, com. I'm on Instagram at G. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, same handle. Um, awesome. Yeah. And we'll have uh, the links to everything at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com under this episode. So one click will take you to all of Dr. Susie's uh, really helpful information, whether you're the person living with uh, chronic pelvic pain syndrome or you're a health practitioner that wants to learn more. So Susie, thanks so much for coming on. This was great. And I look forward to your, your revised book and all the fun stuff that you have coming out. So congrats. Thank you so much, Karen. It was a blast. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. You guys, so much great information from Dr. Susie today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I, I really hope that this podcast uh, at least raises awareness of male pelvic pain and maybe, just maybe, some men listening may seek help. And of course, thank you to NetHealth for sponsoring today's episode. Again, they want to help you maintain strong relationships with your patients, which is why they created the Redoc Patient Portal, which provides a secure line of communication between you and your patients. Conduct virtual visits and have follow-up conversations with your patients via secure messaging when it's convenient for you. Patients have 24-7 secure on-demand access to their therapy health information without phone calls and voice messages. To learn more, contact them at redoc, R-E-D-O-C, at nethealth.com. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.